exciting bit of be with you this morning, and I'm going to be talking to you about God's ever-increasing kingdom. Do you know, I know you wouldn't believe it looking outside, but this is the first Sunday of spring this, this week. Yeah, yeah, it was more spring-like last week, wasn't it? But anyway, this is the first Sunday of spring, and I love spring. I love all the seasons, but I love spring in particular, as you see all this new life springing into action and growing, particularly those lambs that you see in the fields getting bigger and bouncier and more tasty looking as they, as they grow. You can tell I think with my stomach a lot. I'm a typical man, but uh, uh, yes, but springtime is one where you see things growing and getting bigger. You look at yourself in the mirror and think, oh dear, after winter I may have, uh, I may have got a, a bit bigger and better deal with that before summer comes along. You, you realize that you are ever increasing. But, you know, the natural order of things is that they grow, that they get bigger, and then they sort of peak, and then they begin to decline uh, to a slow slow death. Unless, that is, unless that is the number of hairs coming out of your ears or hairs coming out of your nose, if you're a man, this is. As my wife lovingly points out to me, she said, you know, oh, you've got another hair coming out your ear or your nose hairs are just, just like a forest. How am I supposed to kiss you when you're, when you're like that? And uh, so, uh, you know, it, it, you can always trust your wife, can't you, if you're men here. But uh, do you know, I've learned, men, after nearly 18 years of marriage, you cannot say the same thing back, okay? Just a word to the wise there. Do not try to point out your wife's, you know, aging conditions to her. Because not only do you get in trouble with her, but all her friends, they gang up on you. How dare you say that to your, your wife? I've noticed that. A little, a little story, it's a little aside, but uh, it illustrates this point of you women stick together. Now, whilst we're in Uganda, us as a team, don't worry, I won't name and shame the person here, because what happened in Uganda stays in Uganda. So, but I'll tell you the story. We were stuck in two, la- we were stuck in two hours of traffic, uh, traffic jam, and there was uh, two lanes that the cars should be going down, but there was actually six lanes of traffic because um, it was just mayhem. It was really bad. And uh, we're coming towards the end of this time, and I was on the outside lane. Of, there's three other lanes going this way and three other lanes going that way. And lo and behold, this car in the distance comes towards us on our side of the road. But so far, it was actually on the pavement on the wrong side of the road. At which point, a lady in our group, as I said, I won't say her name, said, look at that stupid man's doing. And we all thought, yeah, look at that stupid man's doing. It's going to slow us down. Well, would you know that as the car got nearer, we realized it wasn't a man. (laughs) Not saying anything about ladies driving, but the same lady said, you go, girl, you go. (laughs) Stupid man, you... Anyway, anyway, I digress. The normal cycle of things is that they grow and they increase before they peak, reach their zenith, and begin to decline. And some in society would say the same is true of Christianity. It's it's already reached its peak and it's beginning its steady decline into irrelevancy. But I want to look at today how the Bible is clear. The kingdom of God 
is an ever-increasing kingdom that will one day fill the whole earth with the rule and reign of King Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I get a part to play in that that growth. So let's have a look. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13. And I'll be reading just three verses from there, 31 to 33. It's about the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven or yeast. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, Jesus put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all garden plants and becomes a tree so the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. We'll, we'll stop there. Notice how Jesus, he uses an illustration of a man planting and a, and a woman uh, putting a flour, uh, putting yeast in, in, into flour. Very, very... Very politically correct. (laughs) Jesus wasn't very politically correct. Anyway, I want to bring to you two seemingly contradictory points to you this morning about God's kingdom. One, that it is increasing. And two, that it is hidden. Jesus uses everyday, well-known examples to help people remember and understand his teaching. So take the mustard seed for example, the mustard seed is the tiniest of seeds. You can only just about see it on your finger. Is it clear on there? Yeah, that little dot on his finger is not a splinter. That's a mustard seed. It was proverbially, although it's not technically the smallest seed, it was proverbially the smallest seed back then in first century Palestine. People knew what you were talking about from mustard seed to a tiny, uh, from a tiny seed to a massive tree that would grow. They knew that imagery well. It's a bit like today. We still use the term atom to refer to the smallest thing, even though we know there's things that are smaller than atoms now. So we might say from atom to biggest star or something uh, uh, like that, even though we know that technically, as I say, there's stuff smaller than, than atoms. It has proverbial significance. And back then, most children growing up would have had that thought, how does such a big tree come from such a tiny seed. Jesus takes this well-known concept and he applies it to the kingdom of God. It will start small and insignificant, but it will grow to become the largest of plants in the garden. And of course, God's garden is the world itself. The birds nesting in its branches from Daniel 4, we, the, the, the people who are listening would have realized, ah, oh, birds represent the nations coming under the influence and, and rule of the kingdom itself. The meaning that the kingdom of God would start very small and grow uh, to be the most significant of garden plants in the world would have been well understood by Jesus' audience. Actually, it wouldn't have come as a surprise to them because they would have remembered that the great dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had 500 years before this time that Jesus was speaking about how that there was this mighty Goliath of a, of a statue with the head 
of gold, representing the Babylonian Empire at the time, the, 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 the chest of silver, representing the Medes and Persian Empire, the waist of, of bronze, representing the Greek Empire. And it says the fourth kingdom of legs of iron and, and feet of iron and, and clay, representing the Roman Empire. And then this stone is cut, and it's very clear, it's cut not by human hands. And this stone is flung at the statue, and the statue falls down. This giant of a statue falls down dead and is, is completely destroyed. The Jews would have understood that this stone would be swung by King David's promised descendant, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who himself is strangely linked to God. As Isaiah had prophesied 800 years beforehand when he said, for to us a child is born. Familiar verses to most of us, we read them at Christmas time. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The, they would have held on to, they would have known about these prophecies. And they would know, okay, so the kingdom will start small. Yes, we understand that. It will be led by Christ, the, the coming Christ. We understand that. And it, his kingdom will grow and increase across the earth. They would have also understood the audience uh, that Jesus was speaking to because from the time of King David's grandson, so we're talking sort of from 900 uh, BC um, uh, time and onwards, the prophets began to speak into the situation. The kingdom of Israel divided into the uh, uh, two. He had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And then people started to go away from God. And so the prophets started to speak into the whole idea of a remnant of people. It wasn't about physically just being an Israelite or Jewish. It was about, it was about being a faithful servant of God. They understood that. So when John the Baptist came preaching, saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And don't, don't claim that Abraham's your father, so you're going to be in. You know, actually, God can make, out of these stones, God can make children of Abraham. So the, the, and the Jews didn't say, well, well, what are you saying, John? They understood that at the time. So they knew the kingdom of God would start small under the leadership of God's anointed Christ, and it would be made up of faithful followers, and it would grow until it fills the whole earth. And my friends, do you know, we should have even less of a problem believing this and understanding this, because it's Christianity over the last 2,000 years has grown from a handful of disciples to nearly a third of the world's population. Yes, there's seasons in history, and we're not in the only season to point that out, but there's seasons in history where people have got distracted, and the churches seem to have gone into decline for a while. But God always then, in his grace, uses trouble to stir up his faithful people to begin to proclaim the message again. And then there's fresh growth, which is what I believe actually God is doing in our nation 
at this time. I believe there's fresh growth coming. That the, the, the time, the season of decline in the, the church in this land is coming to an end or has come to an end. And we are moving into this time. You see, all over the world, the kingdom of God is bearing fruit as people put their faith in Jesus. And the beginning of Mark's gospel, Owen mentioned it the other week. Mark chapter 1, verses uh, uh, 14 and 15. It makes it clear that the gospel, the, sorry, the kingdom of God is intrinsically linked with the preaching of the gospel. And as people accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they become sons or daughters of the kingdom. 2 Peter chapter 3 makes it clear to us that the reason why Christ hasn't returned yet, the reason why the end hasn't come is because Jesus wants more people to reach repentance and to be included in, the God, in his kingdom. And guess what? He wants to use you and he wants to use me as part of that process. We're not only waiting for the day of the Lord, we have a part to play in hastening and speeding up the day of the Lord as we share with people the truth. God wants to use you to share with your neighbor, with your work colleague, with your friends, with your family, to pluck up the courage to say, yeah, I'm going to pray for them. When they say, Do you know, I'm in, I'm in pain at the moment, say, oh, can I just pray for you to pluck up the courage to, to speak to them about Jesus, to help them when they're in need, to, to even use some of the things that we as a church put on, things like little gems and that, to say, if you're, if you're a, m- a mum here um, or with the young children, think, yeah, I'm going to go along to that and I'm going to try and speak to some of the people about Jesus, because Jesus is what every one of us and everyone out there needs. Jesus is wanting to use you to grow his kingdom. And how you think about things is important, which is why, well, it's partly why I'm, I'm bringing this message today. Because so often we can think of, oh, it's poor little old me out here with a big bad world around me, and there's nothing, I've got no power to change what's going on around me. And yet Jesus says this. He says, all authority in heaven and earth are mine. Now go, therefore, and make disciples. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he's wanting to break out through you into the world around you so that you can be impacted for the kingdom of God. All he wants you to do, even though you may be doing it in some fear and some trepidation, is to say, okay, Lord, here I am. Send me. Do what you want with me. God's kingdom is an ever-increasing kingdom, and there's more people that God wants in this area brought in to his kingdom. And Matthew 24, verse 14, makes it clear that it's not just in this area, it's from every tribe, every tongue, every nation that God is wanting people to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to respond to it and come into a saving relationship with God. You see, we may not all be called to go abroad, but we are all called to enable the gospel to go to the nations 
of the earth. Many of you, in fact, most of you will be called here. Jesus is saying over your life, go to Helsham or go to Polgate or go to Willingdon or wherever it is in particular that you live and be a witness there for me. But all of us are called to enable the gospel to go to the nations. We should be praying for it, enabling it. That's why we as a church are passionate about the gospel going to the nations. It's not a jolly that some of us get to, to go on. Actually, if you think it's a jolly, just ask the team that came with me about the squatty potty. That will, uh, that will, uh, yeah, that will tell you it's definitely not a, a, a jolly. And if you don't know what that is, yeah, say so ask one of the, the team that, that came out. But his kingdom is growing here and around the world. Do you know, when I first got involved in 1998 in a tribe in, in South Sudan, the Toposa people, there were five known believers of a tri- in a tribe of a million people. In 2005, when the peace agreement was signed in what was Sudan, then between the north and the south, my friend was able to go back to his, to his homeland and with a view of translating the Bible and planting a church. By 2007, the church was established. By 2010, they had three churches in that area. By 2017, there were over 5,000 believers in 13 churches in that area from South Sudan. And in the last two years, they've seen between 40 to 60 churches planted, ranging in size from 20 people to 300 people in the various areas, going all the way up to Ethiopia. And that is despite five years of horrible, intense civil war rampaging in that country. My friends, God's kingdom is ever-increasing, and it will continue to increase until it fills the whole earth. And God wants to use you. And he wants to use me. We have the privilege of playing a part in that growth. Okay, that's my my first point, which leads me on to my final point with you, which is God's kingdom is hidden. Which this may sound a bit odd. Hang on a second. How can it be increasing till it fills the whole earth and yet be unseen at the same time. And the Jews of Jesus' day, as I said, they would have understood that the gospel was, that the kingdom of God would grow and would increase. They would have been thinking, as I said, of those visions of Nebuchadnezzar and the prophecy of Isaiah, thinking, well, if the kingdom of God comes and destroys the nations and grows to be a mountain to fill the whole earth, if the increase of Christ's government and peace, there'll be no end, how can that happen in an unseen way. Why was Jesus, if he is the Messiah, not acting like a king and establishing and enforcing God's rule and reign and righteousness on the people around him? Do you know, indeed, just a couple of chapters before chapter 13, John the Baptist, who's been imprisoned by Herod for preaching out against the things that Herod did, he he sends a message to Jesus to say, are you the Christ or should we be waiting 
for another. Can you, can you let me know? Basically saying, what are you playing at? You're not behaving like the Christ should behave. And Jesus sends a message back to him saying, basically, look, the signs of the kingdom that are promised are breaking out. But don't lose faith in me just because it's happening in a way that you don't understand. Even the disciples, it would appear, didn't understand this properly, even after Jesus rose from, from the dead. They say, just before he ascends into heaven, now, Jesus, are you, are you going to restore the kingdom to, to Israel? Thinking of a physical, a political kingdom where the nations of the world would be forced into submission to God or destroyed because of the anointed king. That's what they expected. Yet Jesus, after confirming the growth of the kingdom, uses this rather unusual second parable about how the kingdom is like yeast. Yeast was often used as a, a negative thing to refer to sin, but, but it's still, it's an everyday example. It's like yeast hid, hid in a large quantity of flour, enough to feed a hundred people, a multitude. just thought that fact's a little bit interesting, but anyway. Um, until the whole lump is leavened. People would get the idea, yeah, okay, I get the idea of the whole lump being affected by the yeast. But you say hid in the yeast. And if you've ever watched bread rise, well, it's pretty dull. Nothing much happens. It, it takes a long time for it to actually rise. And it's so gradual, you, you barely notice the changes. In fact, the whole chapter, chapter 13, would have really confused Jesus' audience as he was sharing with it. He starts by talking about the kingdom of God, like seed, being sown in different types of soil. And talking about it impacting your heart. And how it impacts your heart will depend on how that seed grows. I mean, they'd be thinking, what sort of kingdom is this that's so voluntary. I mean, it wouldn't work in this country to say, well, you can pay taxes if you like. We'd like you to, but you don't have to if you don't want to. Who would pay taxes? You know, it's, it's that sort of, how can a kingdom work if it's not enforced? He then goes on to give an even stranger parable of the fact that, the, 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 that in the garden there's going to be wheat and weeds growing up together, and they're not going to be dealt with until the time of harvest. And again, the people will be thinking, Jesus, what are you talking about? As the Christ establishes God's reign, are you saying he's not going to punish the wicked people in his kingdom? What sort of king would do that? In a way, they were wrestling with the same question that we ask today, or people out there ask today, but just phrased differently. How can a good God allow evil to go unpunished? That's what they'll be thinking. How can that be possible. The parable after our passage about the kingdom of God's like treasure hidden in the ground that a man finds and then goes and sells all he has to, to get that treasure. Jesus, what are you talking about there to be, to be saying? How can, how can the kingdom be for this man but not for everybody else? For this man who gives himself to get it but everyone else is that they can, they can leave it, can they? What, what sort of kingdom are you talking about? What sort of weak king would bring this kingdom 
into the, into the realm. How can the kingdom of God destroy the kingdoms of the nation and yet it be hidden? I don't, I don't understand. And that's what the crowd were struggling with. That's what John the Baptist, it would appear, would be struggling with. And indeed, the disciples, as I've said, they would have been struggling with that point right up until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit began to reveal the truth of what Jesus taught them. And my friends, the reason is, the reason why God was bringing his kingdom into the world that way is because the problem in the world is much greater, much deeper than they or we initially realized. You see, all mankind, due to our sin, the stuff that we do, the stuff that we say, and the stuff that we think that is wrong, that offends God, actually means that every single one of us, every single person born, would come under the category wicked. They would come outside. If God was to bring his kingdom in its fullness in one go, everyone would find themselves outside of it, excluded, rightly put outside of it, cast out. But as the Gospel of John so lovingly tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light, that's Jesus, has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. The kingdom of God is intrinsically linked with the preaching and proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Preached not just in words and deeds, but with heavenly power breaking out in the world around us too. Because we all need that inner, hidden work of the Holy Spirit to operate on our hearts. So those that receive the good news of Jesus and make him their Lord and Savior are spiritually made right before God. When God looks at you, when you've put your faith in Jesus, you are righteous in his sight. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint in God's sight. You're holy. A saint who happens to fall into sin sometimes, but yet God has made a way through Christ for that to be put right as well. That hidden inward work of the Holy Spirit that is not visible from the outside by any clothes. We don't put any special clothes on to say we're a Christian or have any special markings on our body or jewelry or anything like that. That doesn't make you a Christian. That hidden inner work of the Holy Spirit is preparing you for when Jesus comes and brings the kingdom in all its fullness. When we get to enjoy Jesus' rule and reign over all this earth, which will, will also mean punishing all wickedness. And yet Jesus is wanting the gospel of the kingdom to go out to all the earth so everyone 
has an opportunity to hear the message, to respond to it, to become sons and daughters of the kingdom of God so that they will be included and not excluded from it when it comes in fullness. So, my friends, this side of eternity, we're not looking for a political kingdom that would enforce God's rule and reign on people here and now. Outward conformity doesn't make you righteous before God because the Bible says God can see to your very heart anyway. He knows what you and I are thinking. Something needs to be done in here. You know, you can behave well, but you can be full of hatred inside. We need that inner work, that hidden inner work of the Holy Spirit, making us ready for when the kingdom comes in all its fullness. Because the kingdom of God is growing, and it will fill the whole earth. We don't enforce God's rule. We love people, and we encourage people to receive it voluntarily, leaving God to be the one that will punish all wickedness, either when they repent and make Jesus their Lord, he will deal with their sin on the cross, or they will bear it themselves before God on judgment day. But nothing can stop the growth of the kingdom, even though it's in this hidden, unseen way. And it's unseen by the world as well. They don't really pay much attention to it. Do you know that in the first 1,100 years that Islam enforced its religious views, because that, that's something that enforces it uh, politically uh, on the people. They have to, to do it. Where it enforced their, their views. The first 1,100 years on the Islamic world, there were no known movements of God in that particular area. A movement of God being either a 1,000 people voluntarily turned to Christ or over 100 churches are planted. Then in the 19th century, there were two movements of God in the Islamic world that saw over 1,000 people uh, uh, plant, um, turn to Christ and over 100 churches planted in each of those movements. In the 20th century, there were a further 11 movements of God in the Islamic world. But do you know, in the last 19 years, despite an increase of intense persecution by governments and religious figures punishing and even killing people for becoming Christians, in the last 19 years, there have been 69 movements of God where over a 1,000 people or 100 churches have been planted all across the Islamic world. Indeed, some of the greatest revivals in the world in our time are happening in the Islamic world, unnoticed. Amen. Yeah, you can clap at that if you want. Uh, unnoticed by the outside world. How? Why? Because the kingdom of God is like leaven, hid in flour until the whole batch has been fully leavened. The gospel of the kingdom is growing and it is increasing. And one day it will fill the whole earth and then the end will come. And God calls you and he calls me to play our part in this wonderful adventure. And my question to you this morning that I want to leave you with is, will you be obedient 
to your king. Because this side of eternity, it's a voluntary thing. Will you be obedient to what King Jesus is calling you to do? Because the kingdom of God is an ever-increasing kingdom that will one day fill the whole earth with the rule and reign of King Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have a part to play in its growth. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you're here this morning, and as I've been speaking, you suddenly realize, oh, I'm not sure where, where I fit. I suddenly realize, oh, I might be outside the kingdom of God. If, if it was to come now, I might find myself, if it was to come now in all its fullness, I might find myself outside of it. Can I encourage you, just while all heads are bowed and, uh, and people close their eyes, it's between you and God. God sees your heart. God knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're, you're going through. If you're here and you think, yeah, actually I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to be a son or a daughter of the kingdom of God. I want to make Jesus the king of my life. Can I encourage you just to pray this prayer along with me now? Pray this in your heart. God, as I say, God knows what's going on in your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me for all the things I've done and said and thought that are wrong. By your Holy Spirit, please come into my life and make me new. Help get me ready for when your kingdom comes in all its fullness. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, can I encourage you to come and speak to me afterwards? I'd love to talk to you more about it. I have a little uh, booklet to give you as well. I'll hang around at the front after the meeting. Please come and speak to me. Uh, about it. As I said, I'd love to, to talk to you more about what God has just done in your heart, in that hidden, in that place where no one else can see. Can I invite the band to, to come back up now? For the rest of us, for those of us that know Jesus, can I just encourage you, if you're there and you're saying in your heart, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. I just encourage you to stand. If you're there at the moment saying, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. If you, I encourage you to stand up now and I'll just, uh, I'll just pray for you. If you're there, that surrender. If you can stand, that is. If you can't, just, you know, God, God knows in your, <laughs> what's, what's going on in your heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love this world so much that you gave your life to save it, Lord God. And we thank you that you have saved us, Lord God. You have put your Holy Spirit in us. And Lord, I just pray for 
each one of these brothers and sisters that are standing saying, Lord, I want to I wanna do whatever you want me to do. I want to go wherever you want me to go. I want to live my life for you. Lord, I just pray that you would take hold of us and that you would use us, Lord God, for your glory. Lord, forgive us when we, when we do get distracted by other things. Lord God, forgive us when we put our own priorities above the priorities of heaven, Lord God, and help us to live our lives, Lord God, for you, bringing you much glory and much fame on earth. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.